Welcome on into the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 36 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that goes a little deeper into some of the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine. My guest today, a frequent contributor, America's Greenkeeper, Matthew Wharton. But despite his status as America's Greenkeeper, we won't be talking much about America. Matthew recently returned from another trip across the pond, his fifth and his second with his wife Darlis, Mrs. Greenkeeper. And during that trip, as you might expect, he played some golf. We discuss his visit to Goldsby Golf Club just south of Brora in the Scottish Highlands and his conversation there with Greenkeeper Muir Ross. Goldsby, oh my gosh, Goldsby sounds like an incredible place. We also discuss Matthew's visit to St. Andrews and their former Greenkeeper Gordon Moore's new book, The Greenkeeper's Tale. And because this is already such a British episode, we talk a little bit at the end about the football club we both love, the Mighty Reds of Liverpool. You'll never walk alone. Before any of that, though, a quick word from CPRO. They are the proud sponsor of Beyond the Page. Turf plant growth regulators are a critical tool in keeping every course in top-notch condition. They not only help to reduce clippings on warm and cool season grasses throughout the season, but they help manage and enhance Poa Annua to enhance the overall turf quality and conditions of the course. CPRO provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass and Legacy and Musketeer, names you know, names you trust, to the golf industry, along with disease, weed, and aquatic management solutions. CPRO's full line of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best. You can visit them online at cpro.com, that's S-E-P-R-O.com, to learn more. After the break, America's Greenkeeper, talking about Scotland, Matthew Wharton. Matthew Wharton, welcome back to Beyond the Page. Welcome back to the Superintendent Radio Network. What do you have going on today, my friend? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Today I've got uh, contractors on site uh, pouring our uh, capillary concrete liners in about three or four bunkers. This is a short window of work this week for them. Uh, They're going to pour liners today, install sand tomorrow, and then that's a wrap for this week as our fall member guest activities ramp up on Thursday with the official practice round and welcome party and all that. And then, of course, the event is Friday and Saturday. So, uh, yeah, we'll pour some liners today, put some sand in tomorrow, and then uh, get back at it starting Monday and next week on Maintenance Monday. Well, you are at this point in your career, both in terms of experience and probably budget as well, able to get other people to do that work to 
pour those bunkers in, and you don't have to do that yourself. You could, uh, but you don't have to, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think Ron's got a great uh, a great feature on uh, DIY, but uh, this particular time around, I'm going to leave it to the professionals. Right, Ron Furlong, different corner of the country from you. He's at Avalon up in the Pacific Northwest. Ron Furlong with a great story in the October issue about DIY, what can you do yourself? Uh, and at this point, again, you don't have to or want to pour your own bunkers, which is nice. Um, you in the October issue wrote another really fun, really Eurocentric column. This is two in a row about Europe. Maybe you're, uh, you're, you're gravitating from America's Greenkeeper to America's Greenkeeper in Europe. You recently returned from the Scottish Highlands. How many golf trips abroad now is this for you and Mrs. Greenkeeper? Uh, for me and the Mrs., this was our second golf trip abroad. Uh, the first was our trip to Ireland in 2019, which was actually uh, a trip that was put together by TurfNet and sponsored by Syngenta. It was uh, a byproduct of the Superintendent of the Year. I was a finalist in 2018. Uh, Carlos was the uh, was the winner, and um, several of us went on that was that was part of the uh as as he he won uh all expenses paid trip for him and a guest and then uh, those of us that were finalists had the opportunity to uh to tag along and, and bring a guest and uh yeah that was a an incredible experience um rick tetmeyer and his wife sherry were on that trip uh rick was a, a co-winner i think the year prior and wasn't able to go due to a knee surgery, uh, so they he was able to go a year later. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time. Obviously, COVID, I think, has sort of changed the outlook and the dynamic. I'm not sure if TurfMint will ever put together any more trips in the future. It's a shame if they don't because it was very well organized. Um, it was an awesome experience. Me, personally, this was my third time to Scotland, fifth time abroad, third time playing golf in Scotland. So, um yeah, it was after last year's incredible adventure. It was so good to get back and to share it with my wife. It was uh, I've told people it's the best trip I've ever been on. It was just the two of us, little ten day adventure to the Scottish Highlands, and um, it was an incredible time to be over there. Well, we were over there during the um, funeral for uh, Her Majesty uh, Queen Elizabeth II, and um, it was just kind of a surreal experience to to be. In Great Britain, uh, at a time when just about everything was closed, shut down for the entire day, uh, view and live history, it was a pretty incredible experience. I didn't. I don't think I realized that you two were over there for those days at that exact time. What do you, What do you do as an American citizen? You're not a subject of the Queen. You obviously want to be respectful. There's almost nothing open. What What did you two do uh, during the funeral? We watched it on the television the whole day. Like everybody else. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we arrived uh, on Wednesday, the week prior, and our first evening in Dornick, um, went down to a local pub and I was speaking with the pub owner. I had met him last year, Eric, at the, um, the Eagle Hotel. And, um, he kind of gave us a heads up. He was like, just so you know, there's nothing going to be open on, on Monday for the funeral. He said, we're going to open up around three that afternoon because, you know, folks got to eat. So we just kind of planned ahead. I, I had 
dinner reservations for several nights at different places, and uh, we just we bought we bought a bag of salad and a bottle of wine and and a flatbread at the local uh, little co-op grocery, and we just sort of planned that we were going to dine in the apartment we were staying in that that evening. But yeah, we pretty much watched the entire service on the on the television, and it was pretty lengthy took most of the day we did walk down to the to the eagle for a drink afterwards just because we felt like shoot you know it was kind of a long day and we just wanted to get out and stretch our legs and you just want to be respectful of everyone else's you know what what's going on outside of that momentous memorable day uh, and and a lot of time in front of the tv what is it about scotland now five trips for you two together uh, and the UK in general that, that just keeps bringing you back. I imagine you're going to go back as often as you can for the rest of your life. But what is it about that part of the world that, that brings you back other than golf? I'll say it like this. I don't believe in reincarnation, but there is something very familiar. And I'll, I'll just say that when I am there, my soul feels like it's at home. I don't really know how to describe it. It's just a feeling that, that comes over me. And um, it also, I think, has a lot to do with just how how similar it, the landscape looks to the area of Virginia where I'm from. Right. Yeah, so, we've talked about that before for sure. Mm-hmm, yeah. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, already, I'm already in my head trying to figure out uh, when I can get back and what courses I want to play when I get over there next time. <laughs> will you be going back next time to Golspy Golf Club, which we'll talk about here in a minute, which you wrote about in your October I, column I, played? I will say this. I cannot imagine a trip to the Highlands of Scotland and skipping Golspy ever. It was so much fun. I feel like that should be a must-play uh, on every uh, every trip, every itinerary. I, I just can't imagine going over there and, and not – taking the time to to stop by and enjoy it. What a great, fabulous golf course. If folks have not read it online yet at golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine, your October column, a numbers game, about Golspie Golf Club, sounds like a really incredible, special place, almost three or four different courses rolled into one or three or four different course experiences. You wrote about the greenkeeper, Muir, is that how you say his first name? Muir. Muir. M-U-I-R, Ross, an incredible lean staff, a crew of two and a half. If folks haven't read this yet, online or, or in the print edition, which I think will be out at some point here in the next couple of weeks, what is it about Golspie that is now making it a must-play, must-visit every time you go back to Scotland? Well, you know, when I was over there last year, I had the opportunity to, to go just a few miles north of Golspie to the town of Brora. And, and play Brora. And Brora is um is a James Braid design right on the sea that um uh, is probably best known or most known for uh you know a huge flock of sheep that, that graze on the golf course and as a result mm-hmm. they've got these they've got these little electrical uh single wire fences around the green complexes to keep them off the greens but but they pretty much are free to roam everywhere else and um uh, and it's a fabulous golf course. It's a wonderful test of golf, but it's always been just you know a little too far north 
most people don't venture the, that far in the highlands and the, the no laying up guys had, had kind of discovered it and sort of helped give it some publicity. And as a, as a result, you know, Roar is a little more well known now and, but you've got to go right past Goldsby to get there. And so, uh, and that's kind of what we did last year on the, the trip I was on last year. We went right past Goldsby on our way to Brora and, and our host was, he was sort of gesturing with his hand, hey, Goldsby's right down there. It's a, it's a, you know, quirky little course, blah, 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 blah. So I, I made a point that when I, when I arranged this trip, I was like, okay, I, I've got to go see this place. And then I reached, reached out to, to my friends, uh, at Bega to, to get the name of the, the head greenkeeper there, uh, Muir Ross. And then I was, I was able to reach out some contacts to to get his email address and i just reached out to him as a just as a professional courtesy to let him know hey i'm coming over on this golf trip with my wife and i uh, would love to meet you if, if you're available if not you know look just looking forward to experiencing and playing the golf course and oh mir was great he he met us uh upon arrival uh he was already waiting for us there and um bought us a drink and we sat down the three of us you know, just had a nice little chat for about 35, 40 minutes prior to our tea time. Uh, and um, that's where, you know, I was learning about, you know, his background and how long he'd been there. He'd been at Gulf for about three and a half years. And he was kind of sharing with me sort of what he thought were the, the biggest differences between his course and uh, Brora, uh, Ed Green Keep up the board is James McBeath. And, um, and then I remember him telling me how, how many people he had on staff and almost fell out of my chair. And at this point, I haven't even seen the golf course, Matt. That's the funny thing. I mean, all of, I'm learning all this before I see the golf course. And so we go out to play. Uh, it was me and my wife and then uh, a mutual friend, uh, Ian McCauley, from down in Dornick. And then he brought a friend of his. And... Um, we go out to play, and I was just absolutely blown away with the, the condition and presentation of the golf course. It was to a very high standard. And to think that he was pulling that off with two and a half other individuals, you know, was just mind-boggling. Yeah, it really got me to thinking about, you know, what 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 do they get right? What are we missing? What are we missing here that, that, that they're able to – to present these golf courses to such a high standard over there with, with significantly less staff. Um, so, you know, it's got me to think, and I just kind of want to throw that out there and share it with everybody. Is there a simple answer of what are we missing and how do they do it, or is it one of those kind of questions that could be an eight-hour presentation at a conference and you still walk out without any real solutions or answers? I mean, I, I think it's both. I mean, I, I think the short answer is they will I'll use the, uh, the acronym WIN. Um, so WIN is an acronym for what's important now. And I think that's probably where they get it right. They just focus on what's important right then and there at that moment. And that's what they focus their attention on. And, uh, I don't think they waste a lot of time and energy or resources on things that aren't as important. Um, I think here in the U.S., we probably have a tendency to – we're focused on what's important now, but we're also focused on 
the static, the noise, the distraction that we get. Uh, you know, we're trying so hard to meet and exceed member expectations. We're trying so hard to meet and exceed our own expectations. And, uh, you know, perhaps there is a complaint, but, you know, at the end of the day, did that complaint come from one person or did the complaint come from, you know, 24 people? Uh, did it come from 124 people? Uh, you know, sometimes I think we have a, um, we have a tendency here in the U.S. to just maybe get distracted by the static sometimes and maybe spread ourselves a little too thin. Um, and that's not to say that the, that the expectations over there are lower. Uh, it's just that if they don't have the time, energy, and effort and resources to attend to them, they don't. Hmm. You know, whereas I think here we, we, might, we might try our best to do so, and then if we're not really um, fully prepared, maybe maybe we kind of cause ourselves a little more headache and strife sometimes than, than need be. But um, I know we were really struggling earlier this year uh, before the H2B cap relief, and I mean that changed everything. And that was late June. I mean, so there was a, you know, fortunately the grass really was kind of slow to start this spring because of how dry it was in May. But, uh, yeah, there was a, probably a good four- to six-week window there where it was, it was a struggle until, um, you know, we had more staff around. So it seems like about half the time that you come on the podcast, we wind up either talking about course maintenance philosophy or philosophy in general. And this time, with everything you said about when, what's important now, in Scotland, if they don't have the people or the resources, sometimes it just doesn't get attended to, it doesn't get done, and that's not the end of the world. Is there a segment of golf in America, especially America, other countries as well, but mostly here, that maybe golf course maintenance is a little too exacting for everybody involved? Mm, I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean... For whatever reason or another, uh, the majority of golfers in the U.S., and I I would assume perhaps other parts of the world as well, tend to be more focused on the overall look, aesthetic, or presentation of the golf course and the grounds as opposed to how the golf course plays. Mm -hmm. And by that, I mean, you know, the golf course could play, it could play firm, it could play bouncy, you, you, you know, your your drives go 20, 25 to 40 yards farther because you get that extra roll and, uh, the, you know, the course can play fun, but, you know, maybe it's a little scruffy on the edges, maybe it's a little crispy due to a lack of rainfall, uh, and despite how fun it was to play, they might still comment about the overall appearance. And I know personally, you know, I've, I've always tried to explain to the membership here that, uh, you know, a drier summer would be more preferable than a wet one because at least in a dry summer we can kind of control the water with the irrigation system and, and sort of manage the turf appropriately. And I had a member years ago, I've told this story before and it's, uh, it's kind of funny, but 
he stopped me in the parking lot one day, and he, uh, this was kind of during the middle of a of a wetter summer period where where we'd had quite a few thunderstorms and and the golf course had more of a lush appearance. And he just says, "I know you say you like to be in control of the water, but I swear it's never looked this good when you're in control." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, I chuckled and, and thanked him, told him that was probably one of the highest compliments I'd ever received, and. You know, I mean, I don't think he got it, uh, but that's just, um, you know, and Tim Morgan, I think, has probably talked on this topic a lot, but it, it's more than just about Brown, and it's more than just about water. Um, you know, one of my favorite golf courses ever to play, and, uh, and I wrote about last year, was Southern Pines, and one mm-hmm. of the things about Southern Pines that I thought was so charming was um, it kind of fit that mold, Um it, it didn't. They didn't have a lot of money uh, when it was owned and operated by the Elks uh, Lodge, and you know, scruffy or rough around the edges was sort of a, a kind way of of describing uh, the, the the overall aesthetic. But the bones of the golf course were there. The features, the topography, the undulation, all there, and, and the, the tees were good. The fairways were good, and the greens were good. And I just loved it because it was just, uh, you know, it was just a wonderful golfing experience. Um, you know, now they've pumped a lot of money into it, and it's undergone a major renovation and a facelift, and it's completely different. And hey, good, good for them. It's, uh, it's great to see the golf course get some TLC, but at the same time, it's, it's nothing like it used to be. It's a totally different experience now. You talk about playability and scruffiness and crispiness and all the other buzzwords. How did Golspie play when you were out there? Well, Golspie played firm, especially the Lynx holes. Uh, it was extremely windy um, when we started. Um, and we actually did get a little bit of light rain on the very first hole. Um, I remember you were telling us that the soil there is a rich loam and uh, that the soil was better than, than his neighbor to the north. And um, it showed uh, the fescue was uh, – it played firm, it played bouncy, but uh, it didn't look dry or, 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 or droughty or stressed in, in any capacity. And then uh, the cool thing about the golf course is just you've got these holes right on the sea that are true links holes, and then – the then the routing moves a little inland, and as it moves a little inland, it just kind of takes on more of a, a heathland appearance. And then there's a stretch of holes in the corner that are surrounded by pines. And so I guess it would be a tr- true parkland-type experience. And sure enough, when we were back there, we were completely sheltered from those strong winds. Um, and then the wind just completely just died down once we got back out to the lynx holes to close. So it was like three courses in one in two different conditions, uh, all in one round of golf. I mean, it was just, gosh, just so much fun. And um, I'll just say this. I mean, golf was also redesigned by James Braid in the early 1920s, similar to Aurora. And after playing two Braid designs, I think he has quickly ascended to, to number two behind Don Ross for me. Hmm. Uh, I, I just want to go seek out more James Braid designs. I know earlier this year when they played the uh, Senior Open Championship, they played it on, I believe it was the Kings course at Glen Eagles. 
which is a, a braid design. And I watched some of that on, um, I watched some of the televised coverage and I just remember thinking now that looks like a really cool, fun golf course to play. So yeah. Um, braid is quickly capturing my attention. Well, knowing how much you love Donald Ross, both as a golfer and as a turf pro, obviously if folks don't know you've, you've worked on Donald Ross for many years, uh, that's pretty high praise that Braid is now number two. <laughs> well, I don't know if coming from me makes it high praise or not, but I, I sure do think the world of uh, of his golf designs, uh, they're, 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 they're quirky, they're challenging, they're super fun. Um, and and, and w- what I want to do is the next time I go over, I, I did take my hickory clubs. I, I played both modern and hickory clubs on this recent trip, and uh, I definitely want to give Goldsby a crack with my hickory clubs. That would just be a blast. You wrote in the column that you really don't know how Muir and his two-and-a-half-person crew are able to do what they do. And and in my notes, I said, how is this even remotely possible? I'm not going to ask you that because you've addressed that in the column. But what I will ask you is, how large a crew do you think you would need if you worked at Goldsby instead of Carolina? That's a great question. Um, you know, you would, I would, I, well, I guess, I guess the short answer would be if I couldn't do it with two and a half, then obviously, you know, Muir's a much better greenkeeper than I am. Uh, <laughs> but it's, but at the same time, is I don't think there's any way I could do it with with his crew size. I, yeah. I think I would at least need double. You know, so uh, hats is, off to Muir. A, a five person crew is still pretty lean, all things considered. All things considered, yes, you know. You had a very nice uh, pre-round drink and conversation with him. What did you learn about Weir that didn't make it into your column? Um, Just, you know, um, he he was, uh, he's just like everybody else over there. They're just so welcoming, uh, so friendly, uh, willing to go. uh, I mean, he was... He was ready to tee it up with us, and and I wish we'd had the opportunity to do that. He wasn't aware that um, a friend from Dornick and an, and another person were coming up to join us and make a foursome, and um, so he had kind of cleared out his schedule and he he had his sticks with him if if need be. Uh, he would have escort if it was just my wife and I. He was going to escort us around. Hmm. So, um, you know, uh, I'll have to take him up on that offer next time I'm over. Because I think that would be a real treat. In my notes, I asked, will you be returning to Goldsby? That, that's another question I don't need to ask. Clearly, you will be, and next time, you'll make sure that you go around with Weir. Definitely. You wrote in September, your September column, about your visit to St. Andrews, and you wrote about uh, Gordon Moore's new book, St. Andrews, The Greenkeeper's Tale, which Guy Cipriano has read, you have read, I have not read, but I've heard a lot about it. Uh we never really did get around to starting the golf course industry book club. We've tried a few times to get it off the ground, but let's talk lit just for a couple minutes. What did you think of Gordon's book? And if folks have not read your September column, read that as well. Uh, and if you get a chance, read St. Andrew's, the greenkeeper's tale, but your takeaways from, from that book and another uh, British centric column. Well, I, I think my biggest takeaway, first and foremost, was it was kind of surprising to to learn two things. One, the dynamics that are in place 
as it relates to the Lynx Trust, the RNA, and all these other separate entities, and and then how this all relates back to the golf courses there in the town of St. Andrews. And so um, it, it was kind of eye-opening to, to learn. It's not just as simple as, you know, not like Gordon used to attend a green committee meeting in the RNA clubhouse. I mean, you, you've got the, this whole Lynx Trust that's formed and then these other entities and organizations that all have some level of jurisdiction depending and so it was quite fascinating to see how all that had to be navigated. And then the other thing was he came on board at a time in the uh, in the early nineties, late eight, early nineties, where I, I never would have guessed that perhaps that facility or the facilities as a whole uh, maybe weren't quite up to the standard that they are today. Hmm. Uh, it seems like they were definitely lagging behind and uh but that was part of uh, his legacy is that he sort of he sort of oversaw and or- helped orchestrate all of that change in modernization and so uh, i think it's a huge credit to to gordon um but it was just kind of fascinating to sort of sort of read through sort of the year by year and, and, and kind of see the evolution and how everything was because you know when I toured the facility in 2019 Gordon Moore had he had already he had just resigned I think he I think he'd been officially resigned or retired I should say he had re, he'd only been retired for about maybe a month or so um, and the head green keeper on the old course is, is Gordon McKee and so he gave us a tour of um What's referred to as the Jubilee Greenkeeping Center, uh, which is where those three courses uh, operate out of, the old course, the new course, and the Jubilee. And, I mean, it was an extremely uh, well-organized, uh, professional, uh, you know, modern. I was taking a lot of pictures and getting a lot of ideas. Uh, so to, to kind of read about how rudimentary things were not that long ago was just kind of like, wow, I never would have guessed, you know. Now, granted, uh, Carolina Golf Club, a great, great golf facility, probably not the public profile of St. Andrews. That said, do you think you have enough in you, stories and otherwise, to write your own greenkeeper tale at some point after you're finished working in turf? (laughs) Uh, uh, I don't. I don't think I could write a book like Gordon's. Uh, I've always, I just, I always like to joke that one of these days I'm going to write a tell-all book. <laughs> but uh, uh, I've probably got enough stories for at least one chapter. Um, one chapter. It's a, it's, it's a thin yeah. book. Yeah, it's a thin. Well, the funny thing is, it's like there's a there's a thread going around on Twitter that was started by Kevin Hicks that was talking about you know we've all got them those funny little stories uh that have happened and um there's quite a few people that have replied and and shared and because i said something about i was like well do you want to hear about the time i put the tractor in the lake or the time my boss put his pickup truck in the lake oh you know and neither of those things happened here at carolina those are way back in the day at lake bonaventure country club but um just it is amazing the strange things that happen when i leave property 
uh, I, I could write a whole chapter just on on that. And I think, truth be told, just about every every superintendent around the world could. Um, crazy things happen. Gremlins like to like to come out and react at, at the most bizarre times. And um, but no, I mean Gordon's Gordon's book was a, was a great read. I would encourage anyone. Uh, I think. Also, probably one of the biggest take-home lessons, I think I said this in the column, was it just really shows the power of networking because, you know, the book is really kind of a year-by-year progression of his career, and it just kind of goes to show you, you know, the the folks he he met and the relationships he established and then how uh, because of those relationships that he established at an earlier stage of his career, how it how it come to benefit at a at a later stage, and so I think it really shows the power of of, of networking and treating people right, being professional, and um, I think that's a great lesson for everybody in the business, young or old. Well, if you haven't read either of Matthew's September or October columns, again, both of those are up now. GolfCourseIndustry dot com slash magazine. Are we going to have another British? centric installment in November or are we back on this side of the pond? Oh, I think I'm definitely going to be back on this side of the pond. Okay. Um, um, but I've still got to, still got to write something. I'm late. <laughs> so thanks. Thanks for the, thanks for the extension guy, whether you know it or not. <laughs> uh, before I let you go, uh, and we don't normally talk about this on the podcast. We have talked about it in texts and, uh, calls and and once we even sat in your office and and watched a match on my phone, uh, but given the subject of our conversation, it seems relevant. We both support the same English football club, Liverpool, and I just feel like with your with your British columns and a great week in the last week, if folks do not follow, and I'm sure most people don't, Liverpool with a thrilling one nil win Sunday over Man City. A Mohamed Salah goal was the difference, and Mo is maybe all the way back because earlier in the week he had a record-setting uh, Champions League performance with a six-minute hat trick at Rangers in Liverpool, beat Rangers seven to one. How deep can the Reds advance in the Champions League? Because it looks like they'll get out of group group play now. And how high can they climb in the Premier League table this season? They're top. They're eight right now. Obviously, if folks don't know, they need to be top four to ensure that they get back into the Champions League next year. Well, I will say that I love your enthusiasm, but I am not so bullish on our team this year. Um, I think what you've seen is uh, Liverpool got weaker in the offseason mm-hmm. with the loss of Mane, and the other teams got stronger. Um and I've got a good friend here uh, at the club. He's a past president. He he played soccer collegiately at West Virginia University, and he played briefly in the Premier League uh, when he was much younger. He um, he's a big Manchester United supporter, although that's not who he played for when he was a player. And he was telling me that he'd had some conversations with his friends about how. Liverpool was learning the hard way all the intangibles and the other things that, that Mane did that helped orchestrate that offense. Uh, and without him, we were having trouble uh, filling that void. Um, 
you look at the table, and we are a full six points behind fourth. Mm-hmm. That's two full games. Uh, so is it doable? Yes, because there's still a lot of games left to be played over the course of the season. But I honestly don't know that we'll make it. I really don't. I, I think uh, I think they fell too far behind. I will say this. I my personal opinion. I think the biggest the biggest reason Liverpool's been a great team here for the last few years. But at the same time, I almost feel like we've underachieved. I feel like they probably should have won three league titles and only won one. And uh, and the reason why they didn't come out on top is because they have a tendency to play down to their competition on the road and they'll come away with it all when better teams like city will always come away with a win. Um, beating city Sunday was, was awesome. It was the only, the only, the only thing salvageable for me out of this weekend from a, from a sports standpoint, because my Hokies are just in the middle of a terrible rebuilding year and we can't seem to get any momentum going. Uh, so, um, and uh, I will just say this, uh, you know, cheering for Man City is like cheering for Duke. I just can't, well, can't wrap my head around Duke, it. Duke, if so, they had, uh, Duke, if they had uh, uh, international ownership and, and, and money, although, you know what, Duke had, Duke had tobacco money, and Man City benefits from oil, so maybe it's not that different. No, they're not, they're not that different. I just, yeah, I just, you know, when I, when I, when I think of Peppa, I think of Krzyzewski, and I just, uh, so it, it was it was awesome to come out on top, but they've they've dug themselves an incredible hole that they'll have to really work hard to get out of. Oh, and you asked about Champions League. Yeah, I think we'll get out of group just by virtue of the fact that Rangers was in the group. Um, but um, I don't have the highest of expectations, and it's sad too. I mean, we're talking about a team that literally just months ago, when you were sitting in my office. They realistically had an opportunity to win four different trophies. Correct. Yep. The FA Cup, uh, the uh, Carabao Cup, which are the two domestic cups if folks don't follow, the Premier League, which is winning over the course of the entire season. They uh, were one point off that had Man City not scored three goals in, I think, about six minutes on the last day of the season. They would have won that. And then they lost the Champions League final for all of Europe to Real Madrid, 1-0, uh, where Real Madrid made, it seemed about 412 saves. I think it was about 8 or 10 saves, uh, but nothing nothing fell that game. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around how how we're just a few months removed from from a team that was that strong and that good, and they have just really, uh, you know, they've stumbled out of the starting blocks this, this year, so... Uh, but, you know, stranger things have happened. And like I said, there's still a lot of football left to be played. So, And let's wrap it up with this. Football of the English, international, even the American variety, uh, soccer, whatever folks want to call it. The more I think about it, it really is a perfect sport for golf course superintendents to follow. Because, especially in England and around the world, most of the matches are Saturday, summer, Sunday. So maybe you can't watch the Saturday morning matches, but Saturday afternoon, Sunday morning, odds are pretty good you can watch them. Midweek, they've usually got a match Tuesday or Wednesday, and it's 
with the time difference between here and Europe, you can probably watch most, if not all, of the match when you wrap up uh, outdoor tasks for the day. And if you're on the mower and you're listening to podcasts, there's no shortage of football podcasts to listen to. You could fill weeks listening to everything that's that's pumped out. So I feel like from a time time stamp perspective, uh, if if superintendents and other turf pros are looking for a new hobby, this one's not bad. It would fit really right into the maintenance schedule. Oh, I don't, I don't disagree. And I, that's one of the things I, I love about it in general is just that two hours start to finish. Right. You know, um, and you know, if it's if it's your weekend off this time of year, you you can sleep in a little bit and then wake up and turn on the TV and you, you can you can watch the games uh, before. You know, if it's if it's a Saturday, you're going to get these games out of the way before college game day even comes on, let alone the college football games kick off. And the same with Sundays, you you can get your uh, you can get your soccer fix before the NFL gets gets going. So, um, yeah, it's really cool. And anybody who is in a spot of the country where your course is starting to close down for the year and you don't have play in the winter, there's a Winter World Cup in, in Qatar. But uh, basically from Thanksgiving to Christmas, there's going to be four weeks of the world's best matches uh, between countries. So perfect jumping off point if anybody wants to start watching. Yeah. Oh, have you seen the advertisements for the World Cup? Where, I, I actually haven't. Uh, oh, there, there's some really cool ones where I can't think of the actor that's playing Santa Claus, but it's like they're 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 calling him on vacation and uh, and informing him about you know this World Cup's going to kind of be played during this time of year, and uh, <laughs> it's it's actually. They're they're pretty good. They're pretty clever. So I'll look um, it up. you can probably maybe maybe you can find them, Google them, find them on YouTube or something. Yeah. But uh, I've seen I've seen a couple of them and they're pretty clever. So that's funny. Well, Matthew Wharton, he is the superintendent at Carolina Golf Club. He is a lover of Scotland and the Scottish Highlands, a Liverpool supporter. Always great to have you back on the podcast, my friend. Oh, Matt, thanks so much. Uh, it was a pleasure to speak with you as always, uh, and. Uh, I'll uh, I'll let you go. I'm gonna go out here and uh, I, I don't know if you could hear it, but I know the concrete truck arrived. So uh, go out here and check on things and um, go LFC. Indeed, up the Reds and good luck with the bunkers. I'm glad you don't have to pour it yourself. <laughs> Thanks. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Matthew Wharton for taking some time to go beyond the page. Thanks to our sponsor, CPRO, which provides industry-leading turf plant growth regulators like Cutlass legacy, and musketeer to the golf industry, along with disease weed and aquatic management solutions, whose full line of products works hard to ensure your course is consistently looking its best and who is always available online at cpro.com. And thanks, as always, to all of you for listening to all the podcasts here on the Superintendent Radio Network, new episodes of Off the Course, Greens with Envy, Tartan Talks, and you're listening to it right now, Beyond the Page. Drop on Tuesdays. Real Turf Techs with Trent Manning drops on the third Wednesday of each month. We'll have a new episode this week. And Wonderful Women of Golf with Rick Wolfel drops on the first Thursday of each month. Our October issue is online now. It includes Matthew's column about Golspy. It includes five stories about renovation and restoration and refreshing your course. 
It includes a cover story about weddings. Yes, weddings. And lots more. You can check it all out and more at www.golfcourseindustry.com slash magazine. And you can read more industry news and notes in our Fast and Firm email newsletter that's delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. If you don't receive it already, you can sign up online at our homepage, www.golfcourseindustry.com. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me, Matt Lowell. Our columnists, I think, are the best. Terry Buchan, Henry Delosier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and you just listened to him for, I don't even know, 35, 40 minutes, could have been all day, Matthew Wharton. We have a crew of fantastic regular contributors, too. Tyler Bloom, Trent Bouts, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Cassidy Gladio, Trent Manning, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai, Russ Warner, and Jimmy Clark handle sales. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. Caitlin Sellers makes sure everything goes where it should. Christina Warner makes sure you all receive the magazine. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Amanda Cafardi handles so much on the back end. And this month, this month finally, we are taking her to Waffle House for the first time. Irene Sweeney does more than we can ever keep straight. Ryan Jacobs, Cody Minnick, Tom Bauman, Brock Andorada, and Patrick Briand are our IT team. Our president is Chris Foster, and above all else, we could not do what we do without every one of you. Thank you so much for listening.